Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the right hard and soft skills that you're looking for, so you can hire the right person fast. Find the right person with LinkedIn Jobs. Get $50 off your first job post at linkedin.com. It's Tuesday, November 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Back in studio. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. It was we had so much fun yesterday. We thought, hey, let's do it again, right? Well, I did mention last week we've got uh, the annual meeting for yeah. the Motley Fool is this yeah. Thursday and Friday. So that just means we're recording everything in a shorter amount of time. And so uh, later was, today, yeah. going to be recording Thursday's episode. It's all hands on deck. It's we, full of Palooza. We're we have, excited. We've been at this for like ten years, man. Market foolery. When I when I'm making that list of priorities out, Chris, let me tell you, you and market foolery are right there at the top every day. Don't tell your manager. Don't you dare. <laughs> um, we're going to talk augmented reality. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to start in the automotive world. Third quarter profits and revenue for advanced auto parts came in higher than expected. It is the sixth consecutive quarter of new sales growth for advanced auto parts. Why is this stock falling 8%? This is a good quarter and continuing a pretty nice trend for them. Well, okay, you say it was a good quarter. I my wrote this down here. I said it wasn't really a bad quarter. <laughs> and so maybe I'll start with that. It was really though I think it was more of the same um of of, of what we've seen from this company over the past several quarters, and I think the market is probably reacting. And there's a little bit of a tightened guidance there on the comps numbers, their expectations on on comp sales, in in whether it's restaurants or auto parts. I mean, when it comes to retail, comps is obviously a metric that matters a lot. And and so I think they lowered that high end on the comps guidance by about 50 basis points. The market's probably a little bit concerned about that, along with the fact that there are some challenges. That the business continues to witness. Now, let's talk about some of the positive trends first, because their professional side of the business is continuing to show progress. Their e-commerce channels are continuing to show progress, and they're making a lot of investments in their loyalty program, the Speed Perks loyalty program, which is like any retailer. I mean, you're Putting together a loyalty program to bring people back, to get more data, to sell them more stuff, give them rewards, and it really creates that nice virtuous cycle and a long-lasting relationship. So that's good. It does seem like though the headwinds, the problems or concerns maybe outweigh the good. Transactions were down. There's still some traffic concerns there. No pun intended. Store traffic. You know when you when you look at the investments they're making in the business, they're trying to stanch this gross margin compression. And when you stretch it out over further periods of time, when you look at it over the last five years, you can see they are. They're having some issues there, really getting that gross margin stabilized. And that ultimately flows all the way down to the bottom line. Speaking of the bottom line, while they were able to grow earnings per share 11%, net income was only up about 6.5%. And a lot of that really is due to just managing the business, uh, managing the cost side of the business. So, they're repurchasing shares. That's helping boost that EPS number. So, it's not all really that bad. It's just not that great. And when you look at the competition in the space, I mean, when you compare the five-year charts, I mean, between Advance Auto Parts, AutoZone, and O'Reilly, I mean, Advance is the clear laggard. And the problem is, over all that time, while O'Reilly and AutoZone have continued to make progress and separate themselves, it's really tough to gain that ground back. It's such a competitive space. And that race 
down sort of on the pricing side, just continues to accelerate. It just it it, it really is. It's more difficult for them to make up that ground, and so you you kind of get to where we are today. Is it a value play or is it a value trap? It's hard to say, but I kind of feel like I'm leaning toward the latter at this point, just based on the numbers that we're seeing today. You mentioned the loyalty program, and I think it's worth mentioning loyalty programs for national change. Once upon a time, it just seemed like this nice bonus thing. And now it seems like table stakes that it, whether you're selling auto parts or coffee or whatever, <laughs> if you don't have a loyalty program, you almost need to explain yourself. And and I would have to I have to believe that if you don't have a loyalty program that you are actively trying to grow, then it's reasonable to assume that you've got cash flow problems because that seems like an investment worth making. Yeah, and I think the other, I think another challenge with loyalty programs, and I find myself falling into this trap often. Um, it, it, you go to any store and they ask you, "Are you a loyalty member? Are you a loyalty club member, or whatever?" And half the time. It's like, no, I'm not. Do you want to sign up? No, I don't. I just want to buy my stuff and get out of here. And so, I mean, a good example, I mean, you know, I like to paint. So I go to the local art store and I get my stuff from time to time. I don't do it that often. I mean, sometimes I buy stuff from there, sometimes I buy it from somewhere else. But whenever I go to this store, they're like, hey, are you a member of the loyalty club? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I just want to pay for my stuff and get out of here. Is it worth the extra 10% or 20% to me? Typically, it's not. I'm starting to value my time a little bit differently as opposed to when I was 20 years younger. Um, but you know, that is something where the store. I mean, I'm losing out on that little bit of savings, and that's I mean, that's my choice to make. But the store is really missing out on a lot of data that they could get from me, and they could really start catering to uh, the specific things that I'm buying there. So, I feel like retailers, they need to figure something out there. There's a point of friction that they've not fully figured out in many cases. And some of them have. Some of them have. And I think I don't know specifically what that is. Maybe it's the nature of what you're buying. I mean, when you use Starbucks loyalty program, for example, it's pretty easy because you're going there on a daily basis. You know, with the one-off purchases or the more infrequent purchases, it becomes a little bit more difficult to fully figure that out. And so, I mean, I'm not saying I have that solution, but I think that's something that they need to work on. The more they can reduce that friction, the more data they're going to get, the longer. The relationship they can create, and the better that works out for everyone. Snap has launched Spectacles Three, the latest version of its uh, glasses, now with augmented reality. Uh, and for just three hundred eighty dollars, you can buy a pair, record video, apply three D effects, and then post it to your Snapchat account or other social media networks. Shares of Snap, I should point out, are up a little bit today. Is there reason for optimism? For Snap's business, based on this latest launch, um, maybe I would say maybe. I mean, I think if you're looking for an investment in wearable technology, Snap is not it. I mean, this is give me. I defy you to give me one reason why Snap is a better bet here uh, as opposed to something like Apple or Microsoft or Alphabet, because I mean, it's not. And if you say it's because they're smaller and more nimble and they can. Move faster and break things more quickly. I mean, that's not 
the case there. I mean, that's not an advantage here. That's actually a disadvantage. They don't have the same resources to devote to this kind of stuff. And frankly, I don't think they have the same talent. I mean, when you look at companies like Microsoft and Apple and Alphabet, they are working on that headset and augmented reality and mixed reality. They have more resources. They have more talent. They've been at it for a lot longer. So, then you look back to what Snap ultimately is. I mean, it's an it's an ad play, which on its own, it's that's fine. But I mean, it is a niche social ad play, and and that to me makes it far more difficult um, to get behind as an investment. And you know, contrary to popular belief, I mean, I really do want to like this company. I mean, in its last earnings call, management used the phrase augmented reality 21 times. And I mean, that to me, it's right up my alley in regard to the augmented reality service and the ideas that we're looking for. And Founder and CEO Evan Spiegel said, I mean, in 10 years, he believes that consumers will widely adopt augmented reality glasses. And I tend to agree with that. I just don't think it's going to be theirs. And that perhaps is the problem. But I think that really, when you look at this particular line of spectacles, these spectacles are geared more towards the creators that are using Snapchat. So I think at the end of the day, this is really an investment in engagement. It's not something that you or I would necessarily buy. I think it's it's something that's meant for the high dollar creators that are that are giving Snapchat content on an ongoing basis. Um, and so from that perspective, it's an investment in engagement. And that probably makes sense for them because again, we get back to that point where it's it's an ad play. It's a social niche ad play and they need to they need to create engagement. And this is going to be one way to do that. And to the point we were discussing earlier regarding money that you can invest when you're a business, you name-checked Microsoft, Apple, Alphabet, companies with really deep pockets. And you know, we were talking the other day about uh, the Apple Watch, first iteration, not that great, latest version, much better. Apple has not just the money to devote to improving their existing devices, but they've got the time because they've got the money. Yeah. Snap, by their own admission, you know, the first version of this didn't really work out. Uh, presumably, version three is significantly better. You would hope so if they're charging nearly $400 a pop for them. But they need this to be something that moves the needle more so than Apple does in a shorter amount of time. There's absolutely no question. I mean, again, we go back to what is their main source of revenue today? It's advertising, plain and simple. And so for them to figure out a way to diversify that revenue stream, um, I mean, I applaud them for being on that now. And I like the forward thinking um, nature. But I mean, when you talk about companies like Apple and Microsoft, and I mean, let's throw Amazon in there, and um, I mean, Alphabet. I mean, these are companies that not only have the resources and the talent, but they've got all the time in the world. They've got the fundamentals working in their favor. These are businesses that are clearly profitable. They make a ton of cash, and that affords them all the time in the world. And, and right now, Snap is not there. Now that's just because it's a younger company still getting its feet underneath it. But I mean, when you look at the estimates out there in the analyst community, I mean, gap profitability is is a really long way out for this company. I mean, gap profitability isn't going to happen until 2023. And so, you know, that all just goes back to we've got a company here that's valued on. Excitement. It's it's valued on potential. It's not valued on fundamentals at all. And it's got a 
a leader that I don't think has proven himself yet, and he's in full control of this company in the, in the direction uh, in which they go. So, I mean, I think as an investor, if you look at Snap and you think, oh, this is just some massive upside potential social play, I think that's a bit naive. I mean, I think we've seen really the massive upside in social shake out. I think that what you have here is an opportunity for a company to continue growing, develop its own identity, start embracing more technology, help steer us towards this new mixed reality technology space. Um, one day they'll be profitable. They'll have some fundamentals that we can value the company on, and, and it could continue to grow. And then maybe it makes sense as an investment. But this to me is clearly one where I would rather add, I would rather buy it after I've seen demonstrable success, not. Not well. I think that they're going to do well down the road because we've seen a lot of those already, right? I mean, we we I think we we hit Twitter like that on you know every quarter. It was just it was the potential, and and it just doesn't always work out. Shares of Snap up 150 percent this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been a great year, no doubt. It's coming off an extremely low base in major pessimism. So, I mean, they really had nowhere to go but up. Um, and so I, I mean that that to me is a sensible reaction. Um, I mean it's it's not been a good investment if you got in at the IPO. Uh, again, I feel like it's one where you you're probably more it's more sensible to to buy this thing once it's it's proven that it can succeed that it's sustainable. Uh, doing anything before that is. You know that's going to be your your that's going to be your higher risk holding in your portfolio. Quick shout out to LinkedIn when it comes to finding candidates that are truly meant for your business. Urgency can be your enemy, and that's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for, things like adaptability, creativity, collaboration. LinkedIn looks beyond the work skills and puts your job post in front of qualified candidates who match your business requirements. Perfectly. Visit LinkedIn.com slash fool and get fifty dollars off your first job post. Again, that's LinkedIn.com slash fool. Terms and conditions apply. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Snahanch. Hope I'm pronouncing the name correctly. Sorry about that. Uh, I'm new to the investing world. You always say that investors should begin by first investing in index funds. After some research, I bought some shares of a broad market index fund ETF. While continuing my investment in index funds, is it preferable to continue buying more shares of my existing investment, or should I seek other investment funds opportunities as well? Thanks for all your help. Uh, great question. I, you know, we do say that all the time that it's such a great first step uh, when you're starting to invest. Just get that exposure to the broad market. Um, I am not one of those people who invests in multiple index funds, although there are people who do very well just looking at, you know, once they start with a broad market fund, then they say, you know what, I'm going to focus on uh, a small cap ETF or a small cap index. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people um, are really only invested in funds, right? I mean, if you look at it from the perspective of just investing in your 401k or whatever your retirement vehicle may be, I mean, in most cases, uh, you're choosing from funds in, in how you allocate your money. And so, from that perspective, I mean, the short answer is yes, you can absolutely invest in more than one fund. Uh, you can reinvest in the fund that you own already. I mean, people can be very successful successful just investing in, in ETFs. Um, and I think that really that kind of gets to the, the 
the greater point here of making sure that you understand what the ETF that you're invested in represents. And so, you know, when we when we consider this email, for example, and the fund in which he's invested, the the it's the Schwab. Um, Broader market fund. The ticker I think was SCHB. So, you know, I did a little research into that particular fund to get a better idea of you know, what does this fund actually represent. I mean, this is a really big fund here. I mean, this is a, a fund that holds essentially 2,500 U.S. stocks. Um, and for context, and we talk a lot about the S and P 500. I mean, the S and P 500 is surprise 500. Uh, so this this particular fund owns. A really big basket of, of stocks. And so then you have to ask yourself if you want to invest in another fund, you probably want to invest in that other fund to get exposure to something that you don't have exposure to already. Otherwise, you know, maybe it just makes more sense to, to add to the fund that you already own. Um, I mean, this fund itself is highly rated by Morningstar. It, it's reputable. It's Schwab. So, you know, costs are low. Turnover is low. There are low frictional costs involved with it. It's a market cap weighted fund. So, it, it skews towards the bigger companies and you know, one one argument for that could be that hey, well, the bigger companies keep on winning and they keep on getting bigger, and you want to own those companies. Um, so, generally speaking, yes, you can own as many index funds as you want or ETFs. You want to just understand what is in the ETFs that you currently own, and then try to figure out: Do I need to buy something else to get exposure to something else that I don't currently own? In this case, with SCHB, I mean, this is a fund that owns a you know a lot. In most of those companies are probably represented by other funds uh, that you would have access to anyway. So, maybe in this case, you don't need to own another index fund. Maybe this is all you really need from that perspective, and you can just keep on adding to it. I mean, I own one index fund. It's the S&P 500, and I just keep adding to that every time I get paid here at work. I don't feel the need to go any further than that, because I've also got individual stocks, and I've got some real estate and other ways to diversify my portfolio. Um, so, hopefully, that sheds a little bit of light on it. It really boils down to just understanding what's in that fund that you own. A lot of different ways you can find that out. Uh, if you just you know go to your trusty Google and just type in the name of the fund, typically that'll bring you either to the page of you know that'll bring you to the home page of the company that sponsors the fund, or it would take you to something like a full site or a Morningstar site or something where you can find the components of the fund. Uh, but just understanding what what is in the funds that can help dictate uh, where you put your future investment dollars. Uh, real quick before we wrap up, because uh, we talk about entertainment uh, pretty frequently on this show and. Um, it came across uh, in my Twitter feed uh, a lot of entertainers uh, uh, tweeting about uh, Rick Ludwin, who is a executive at NBC, um, died the other day at the age of seventy-one. Um, and I'll, I'll put this out on the Market Fullery Twitter feed. Um, a, a very nice obituary. But all of these tributes about this uh, sounds like uh, for someone who spent his life in the television industry as, as an executive, uh, a pretty soft-spoken guy, a pretty mild-mannered guy, um, and uh, a lot of wonderful tributes uh, being paid to him. But from a business standpoint, um, Rick Ludwin is the lone executive at NBC. Uh, who believed in 
a show that was originally called The Seinfeld Chronicles. <laughs> he was that one he guy. Was that, what, there were all these other executives who were like, oh I don't know about God. this show. It seems like it's to New York. It's I don't really you know, I don't think it's going to play well. That sort of thing. And Rick Ludwin not believed in the show so much that he had money in a budget. They did you know like one episode, showed it to executives. They're like, eh, I don't think so. They all turned it down. And he had money in a budget that was for specials. So just like, hey, we're going to do a concert special or you know any, any kind of uh, prime time special that he wanted to do. He had money set aside in that budget. He took. All of that money for four primetime specials, and and said, "I want four episodes." Oh wow! I'm going to get four episodes of the Seinfeld Chronicles. Going to put it on TV, and that got the whole thing started. That's an amazing story. I yeah. mean, when you think about, I mean, you you talk about shows that have changed the world. I mean, I, I think Seinfeld is certainly one of those shows. I mean, that's one of those shows that continues to, I think. Hold true in a lot of ways today. It 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 is developed obviously a rabid uh, fan base, and, and frankly, I think social media has only has only you know fueled that fire. You you see only that only happens every once in a while. We talk a lot about data, Netflix, Disney, all these companies using data to make decisions. And whatnot. You know, at the end of the day, these shows are art, and <laughs> and art is not so easily figured out. Right. That's why they're special. Right, and people decide ultimately. It's like you you can. We were talking right before we started recording about uh, reviews, and some people rely very heavily on movie reviews, television reviews. Ultimately, it's the people who just decide what they want to watch. Precisely. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. 